Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right. Welcome back to the Gillette Health Podcast. Today we have a special episode. I'm joined by Dr. Scott Scher, who is a board-certified internal medicine physician who holds an additional certification in hyperbaric oxygen therapy and has lectured on this subject and others at many conferences now. So very nice to have you on, Dr. Scher. Thanks for having me, James. Absolutely. So very excited for this conversation today. Uh, I guess the best place to start is kind of your story and your background and just what got you where you're at today. It's always a question of where to start. But the short story is that I was a son of a chiropractor, grew up very out of the box from a young age. I didn't know what a box was, but somehow I decided to go to medical school when I finished college, thinking that I could bring together a world that I had no idea about, conventional medicine, with a world of alternative medicine and some beautiful synergy bridging the chasm between these various, these very varied uh, practice, practices, basically, in the alternative medicine world versus the conventional medicine world. And it was an interesting journey going to medical school. I found that in the beginning, it was very much like any other school. You're just in school. You're learning. You're really, really busy trying to figure out how to get through your next test and through your next project or whatever. But when I started looking into what I wanted to do as a doctor, as a conventional practitioner, I realized that I really wanted to kind of figure out that path. How could I bridge that chasm between the alternative medicine world that I grew up in and the conventional world where I think, where I, and I felt, and I still do today, that there is a significant amount that can be learned and that can be used in both realms, but nothing is a zero sum game. And that's what I was trying to figure out how I could figure a way in through that process. And so in my third year of medical school, I was rounding in a place called shock trauma in Baltimore. I went to university of Maryland medical center in, in Baltimore for my residency along with medical school as well. And then during that time, I, I was, ex- I was exposed to hyperbaric oxygen therapy and hyperbaric oxygen therapy at the time. And the way I experienced it initially was for really bad wounds, for really bad infections, really bad trauma. And I saw these amazing things happening inside the chamber. And when I realized it was just a combination of increased atmospheric pressure with increased inspired oxygen in combination of those two things together, it was very simple as far as its physiology, very simple as far as how it really could work in the body. And I got really interested in the technology and the research. And that was about 2007, 2006 timeframe. And so I really started to kind of learn what was happening in the field. And then I, I decided to go to residency and, and be an internal medicine physician it was the quickest way out of medical school and residency is what it comes down to. And it was, it was also a way of kind of getting a general education without having to specialize. 
And then I developed over the last 10 years or so in a practice that surrounds the field of hyperbaric medicine, also integrating not only just hyperbaric therapy, but what you can do before, during, and after hyperbaric therapy to really optimize your protocols. And a lot of that has to do with creating a foundation for people, optimizing things like vitamins, minerals, nutrients, antioxidant status, gut health, and things like that, using a framework called health optimization medicine, which is founded by a mentor and friend of mine. And also we have a nonprofit organization called health optimization medicine and practice that's training doctors and practitioners on a similar framework or on the framework that I use with my hyperbaric patients. And I speak to people all over the world. I speak to clinics all over the world. I speak to people all over the world that are looking to optimize their hyperbaric protocols, anything from cancer to optimizing performance, to dementia, to chronic pain, to infection, and from kids to adults from two months of age to 95 years of age. So lots of different things. So it, it kind of falls into that realm of internal medicine in that capacity, at least that we see, I see a breadth of things. And Many people that speak to me think they're going to be speaking about hyperbaric therapy, but usually about 80% of what I speak about has nothing to do with getting to the chambers because we really have to think, I think more globally, more 30,000 foot view when people come in or people ask questions about various ways hyperbaric therapy can help them like a lot of other technologies out there. It's not like there's a silver, silver bullet for most people, especially if it's not an acute injury, if it's more of a, sorry, especially if it's more of a chronic injury, a chronic issue, like for acute stuff, hyperbaric therapy is fantastic. It can really work to help stimulate the body's own healing responses and just help, help them happen more efficiently. But over the long-term chronic issues, it can take longer to heal with more of a multidisciplinary approach that's usually required. Yeah, that's great stuff. You said a couple things there that I, I really think are interesting. The simplicity of it all, first of all, just increasing yeah. the oxygen delivery to the tissue. We know that's a rate limiting step in healing of so many different kinds of tissue. And then also the health optimization side of this. Sure. So not only are you just you know putting people in a hyperbaric chamber, getting them better, you're really taking the extra step and helping them to get the most out of the therapy. So Kind of what does that look like to you as far as an overall approach to health optimization to get the most out of hyperbaric mm. oxygen if that's indicated for somebody? Well, they dovetail the two comments you just made. I think that when you're getting more oxygen into the system, you're also creating the ability to make more energy. And you have to be able to make energy effectively if you're going to really utilize that oxygen more most appropriately. And in addition to that, when you make energy, you're also making products of energy metabolism, including reactive oxygen species, which are also called oxidative molecules, ROS. And also you're making obviously CO2 and water, but you're making additional oxidative load in the system. And as a result of that, you have to be able to have a balanced or reactive antioxidant response. And so for me, when I'm thinking about somebody going into a hyperbaric environment, I'm thinking about do they have optimized levels of vitamins, minerals, and nutrients, antioxidant status, so that when, I'm, when we're giving them a lot more oxygen circulation, are they able to utilize that oxygen most effectively? In addition, I'm also thinking about ways to get more oxygen to that tissue. So dilating tissue, for example, like vasodilation and using various supplements that can help you dilate if you need to dilate in particular areas, for example. And that's not only supplements, but it's like technologies as well. Like low-level light therapy is a good example where you're trying to dilate a particular area of the body because that's the particular area that you want to stimulate to make more energy and to make more healing stimulus happen in that area. So, but what, what the key for me is, always thinking about like, we're giving a, a bigger oxygen load. So that's good news because that's what we want to do in a hyperbaric environment. But the, the, the major push for me is always, especially if it's not an, not an acute issue, if it's more of like a long-term health 
goal, say it's longevity, say it's you have a chronic infection, say it's dementia, say it's you have a, you know, some chronic can get condition that you're looking to, to have improvement in the hyperbaric environment. And that's really when you want to be thinking about how you're optimizing that foundation first. And so I think about I think about various types of laboratory analysis that you can do, various supplements that you can use that are related to that laboratory analysis and also sort of separate in the sense of trying to help deliver more oxygen to the tissue, like vasodilatory kinds of supplementation. I think of other types of technologies that can help. I mentioned low-level light therapy. I think of various practitioners uh, that can also help depending on the type of injury or the type of condition that we have. Say it's, for example, it's like... Uh, if it's if somebody with dementia, then you're thinking about maybe we can think about using like a neurofeedback provider, a neurofeedback to help optimize brain function, recalibrate how the brain is working. So that's in traumatic traumatic brain injury is another good example of that. I think of also um, the various types of practices that we can use to help dilate blood vessels as well, or to help with oxygen delivery. Some of those things might be cold therapy or 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 uh, or sauna or the combination of both or different types of other type of, of movement practices and things like that. So I'm always thinking about this in a more comprehensive way rather than just getting them in the chamber. But the key, and, and you mentioned this earlier with your first comment, uh, James, is that we're getting more oxygen circulation and we're not even just carrying oxygen on red blood cells. You know, Red blood cells are typically the, the type of cell that carries oxygen from our lungs to the rest of our body. But in a hyperbaric environment, because we're using increased atmospheric pressure, so we're simulating the pressure you would feel under a certain amount of seawater. When we're doing that, we're driving oxygen, liquid oxygen directly into your bloodstream, which is in your plasma. And we can get up to 1200% more oxygen in circulation. And so that's a lot more oxygen to play with, which is great if you have an acute injury, you have an acute trauma, you have an acute area that's not getting enough blood flow. So that's why we have good studies that show hyperbaric therapy can help in patients with heart attacks, with strokes, with traumatic brain injuries, all on the acute side with spinal cord injuries, with acute trauma, because we can get more oxygen to tissue and save some of that tissue that may have been damaged or may, may not come back after those particular types of injuries. And then over the long-term, what hyperbaric therapy does is it creates this, because of that oxidative load, because of that energy production, waste, you know, in quotes, waste product metabolism, re reactive oxygen species, then you have these epigenetic shifts that are happening at the genetic level that are expressing and suppressing various genes that are responsible for healing and regeneration. Yeah, that's fantastic stuff. And you mentioned that, you know, obviously blood flow is super important. So if you have suboptimal, let's say, endothelial, endothelial function, when you're going into a hyperbaric chamber, you're still going to get an increase in tissue or tissue delivery of the oxygen, but it may not be as good as if you are optimizing somebody's vascular health before they're going in. So I think that's you know, fantastic stuff. And you mentioned a number of the current indications. Um, so, you know, what are some of the things that you were using it for whenever you were in your residency? And mm -hmm. then how does that compare with some of the things that you're using it for now? So there's 14 indications that are currently approved by insurance companies by Medicare in the United States. And the major ones that we see in the, in the hospitals, I was kind of alluding to, but the ones we see that are more common actually that we see as an outpatient are diabetic foot ulcers. These are patients with diabetes that have foot ulcers that don't heal or aren't healing. And it's a way to potentially prevent amputations, both small and large. We also have radiation injury. So these are patients that have had usually have cancer and they get radiation as a result of that cancer treatment. And then they get injuries related to the radiation that don't go away or develop after about six months post radiation therapy. And 
hyperbaric therapy is a fantastic way to regenerate tissue, as I was alluding to before. And we're rebuilding architecture of tissue in the chamber. We're increasing blood vasculature, the number of blood vessels, we're increasing the number of stem cells in the area. We're also helping development of connective tissue, bone, neurons, heart cartilage, all of that stuff gets regenerated inside of a hyperbaric environment. And so radiation injury depletes the tissue of a lot of those types of cells that make the tissue healthy. And so hyperbaric therapy can regenerate it. And it's probably the most underutilized way hyperbaric therapy uh, would hopefully would be better used, unfortunately, in, in the insurance realm of, of hyperbaric conditions and, and treatment. There's also sudden hearing loss. These are in patients that have sudden, what's called sensory neural hearing loss. They just suddenly lose their hearing either completely or to some degree. Hyperbaric therapy can significantly improve and mitigate or regenerate that healing. There's also chronic bone infection, something called osteomyelitis, where you have a bone infection that won't heal for a while. And sudden, there's also flaps and grafts. So these are grafts and flaps that are put in usually on a plastic surgery patient and they're not doing well for whatever reason. There's lots of different types of flaps and grafts and hyperbaric therapy is a really great tool for using, uh, for using uh, a way for a way to help optimize the blood flow to that tissue and help regenerate it and help that particular tissue stay alive or stay vital. Um, in the acute setting, we use it for trauma. We use it for compartment syndromes. We use it for necrotizing fasciitis. We use it for acute traumatic uh, ischemia or acute traumatic limb partial amputations or, or amputations, also using it for frostbite, using it for scorpion bites, using it for carbon monoxide poisoning, burns, those kinds of things. But for the most part, what I focus on are the in conditions where I have a lot of good data to support them, but are not covered by insurance in, the, in this country. In other countries, Russia, Japan, China, there's about 70 different conditions that hyperbaric therapy is used for. In this particular country, it's 14. But on the realm of the things that are not covered by insurance, the major ones that we see with a lot of good data are patients post-stroke, uh, patients with traumatic brain injury, patients with chronic infections, patients that are looking to optimize post-surgery, so pre-post-surgery treatments and protocols, also doing a lot of work on injury recovery in general. So people that have had injuries, acute injuries, acute trauma that don't, doesn't fall into the categories I mentioned before, hyperbaric therapy is just going to stimulate the healing response, make it happen faster. Also the dementias, both Alzheimer's, Parkinson, and vascular associated dementia. There's some good data there that hyperbaric therapy in the context of a larger multidisciplinary kind of plan can be very helpful in those capacities too. And I'm probably missing about 20 others that are not coming off the top of my head, but the idea really, when it comes down to it, James, is that if the hyperbaric therapy is really doing four or five things and in the, the way, this is the way I always think about when somebody comes to me and they have a question is what we're doing initially is we're reversing low oxygen states. So you have a low oxygen state, we're reversing it immediately by infusing a lot of oxygen in the body. And over the long term, we're creating new blood vessels in the area to help maintain and keep that tissue optimized over the longer period of time. The second thing we're doing is profoundly decreasing inflammation and swelling. And we're doing that immediately, which is really great if you have an injury with a lot of swelling. But over the long term, we're actually down, down regulating a lot of the inflammatory mediators of inflammation. So this is like the cytokines. This is your TNF alphas of the world. And so those inflammatory markers are downregulated inside of a longer term hyperbaric protocol. The third thing that we're doing is that we are releasing stem cells. So stem cells in our body are the baby cells that can make any different tissue in your body that you'd want. And so those get released from various locations. They also mature in these various locations where the injury has happened. So this is an exponential number 
number of stem cells that are coming in to the tissue and helping regenerate. The fourth thing that's happening in the chamber is that we're killing bugs. So these are bugs that do not like high oxygen environments, especially, and usually in combination with other types of modalities, antibiotics, for example, and can be very, very effective in helping synergize with these antibiotics with very bad infections, like the one I was mentioning before, necrotizing fasciitis, which is also called flesh-eating bacteria. Not a fun one to see or to get, that is for sure. And then the last way that hyperbaric therapy works is that it increases flow. So it increases blood flow into tissue, and it also increases lymphatic flow out of tissue. And so you want more blood flow into tissue so you can heal it. You want more lymphatic flow out of tissue so that you can clean up all the garbage because your lymphatics are your garbage collecting system. So when somebody comes to me and asks if their condition may be amenable to hyperbaric therapy, that's the, the kind of process that I go through. The, after I go through that process, I think about, well, yes, hyperbaric therapy may be helpful, but then we go back to understanding, is this an acute issue? Then we get them into the chamber immediately with support. I call it my educationally sh throwing the shit at the wall kind of strategy, where you just think you have a good sense of what people need, but you don't measure anything. You just do it. It's like your do not pass go strategy in Monopoly. But if it's a chronic condition or a long-term issue, then we think about how can we optimize foundationally first, if possible, and work on that level, vitamins, minerals, nutrients, gut health, immune health, hormonal health, that stuff I know that you know well as well with the work that you do with Kyle. And it's, it's a similar kind of idea. I just have a framework that I use called health optimization medicine, or I'll even refer people to, to specialists depending on what the case is. So if, for example, if it's a cancer patient, I'm referring to an integrative oncologist. Uh, that's, that's just how it goes for me. Like, I don't feel like I'm the person that should be optimizing them from, from a cancer perspective. And so there's other practitioners that I'll use or that I'll refer to depending on the condition as well. But that's, that's kind of my, that's my framework in a nutshell. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic foundation. And you know, there's so many different specialists out there and there's just so much information now that I think there's no way that, you know, one person can manage it all. So, you know, we'll refer out if there is a, a specialist that a patient needs to see as well. One thing you said that was particularly interesting was improving the lymphatic drainage. So that's something I, I believe has been shown to be less effective as you increase in age and maybe pathologic in um, development of cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's that you're not flushing out things of the brain as well. Mm -hmm. So there's just so many moving parts here. You've got your antioxidant status, blood flow, your drainage system. And I believe there's some studies that show you're actually you know, building, as you mentioned, new blood vessels during the hyperbaric therapy. Yes. So you kind of have two groups of people, I guess, that are looking for this. Um, I guess you could say three, the acute, uh, the chronic, and then people who don't necessarily have a chronic issue, but they're like, mm -hmm. how can this benefit me? So mm -hmm. off the top of my head, I could think, you know, athletes, um, sure. connective tissue, it tends to have a poor blood supply. So improving the blood supply there makes sense that that would be of benefit. Um, but for people that are using this more recreationally or in the, the biohacking, um, sphere of things, what mm -hmm. kind of benefits can they expect? And, you know, what are some of those things that they can do to optimize what they're getting out of the hyperbaric therapy? Yeah. So what it comes down to is the things I just described, right? We're reversing low oxygen. We're decreasing inflammation. We're getting stem cells released. We're killing bugs and we are improving flow. So my sense of it is that anybody can really benefit from that. The question is not, if hyperbaric therapy will be helpful, it's kind of when, as far as I'm concerned, and how can you can best utilize it depending on what is going on with you otherwise. And so 
if people that are healthy are looking to use hyperbaric therapy, I usually will recommend some sort of optimal kind of framework, looking at laboratory analysis, comprehensive kinds of things, because that's going to be sustainable for them over the long term if they can look at deficiencies and toxicities and imbalances and things like that. That's ideal for me. So if somebody comes to me, hey, hey Dr. Scott, I, I just want to use this to perform better. Well, then I go perform better doing what is the first question, right? To perform better athletically, perform better cognitively, perform better in the bedroom, you know, what, what, what are you looking for here? Right. So, and so, and then I can kind of dial in the protocols. And I think what's important to also delineate is that there are acute hyperbaric therapy protocols. These are protocols that you do for an acute condition. And there are protocols that are done for more long-term goals and they're different uh, in a number of different ways, but the most important way is the number of treatments that we're talking about. So typically in a hyperbaric environment for an acute condition, we're looking just to stimulate and to enhance the healing process. And that usually means that you're in the chamber between three to 10 times. And these are chamber treatments that are usually done after uh, the, or after the acute issue happens. Sometimes they're done before though. For example, if you have a known surgery coming up and you want to pre-treat, pre-oxygenate your tissue, there's some data that says that using hyperbaric therapy before you get the surgery can help prepare your tissue for the surgery itself and you will heal faster. So you do a couple of treatments before and you do three to five treatments afterwards and your healing time on average can be about 50% faster if you're relatively well optimized. If you're not as well optimized, it might be a little bit on the lower end of that spectrum, but it, I can't tell you how many times I've had people come in after their surgical follow-up They've had their surgery. They did hyperbaric therapy before. They did it afterwards, and the surgical follow-up, and the, the doctors are just amazed at how fast that they're healing. This could be anything from a knee surgery, like a knee replacement, arthroscopic surgery, whatever, or it could even be something as vain as a plastic surgery. And you don't want to have raccoon eyes for two weeks. You want to have it for one week instead. And you can see hyperbaric therapy have a significant benefit, and not not doing that many sessions. We're talking about three to five sessions, maybe two before, maybe three afterwards. And you can see a significant difference in that healing process for the reasons I mentioned before, the decreased inflammation and swelling, getting more oxygen to the tissue, et cetera, more flow. And for the longer term protocols though, when you have a longer term condition where you're looking to really shift that epigenetics in a way that helps optimize from that foundational level, then you're looking at treatment protocols that are anywhere between 20 to 40, sometimes 60 or 80 sessions in the hyperbaric environment. These sessions are usually done Monday through Friday with weekends off for that period of time. Now, there are exceptions though. Like if you're doing this from a recovery perspective, say you're just looking to optimize muscle recovery from a workout, one-off sessions, I would call that more of an acute issue, right? You have an acute muscle trauma because you've just exercised and now you want to recover from that exercise. You get into a hyperbaric environment once after your, your, your hard workout, you're going to recover faster and better the next day. I for example, for me, I had a hard workout yesterday. I went into my chamber and my deep sleep, my recovery was off the charts because I went into the chamber afterwards. And so this is something that I'll do with my athletes as well is that I'll have them time their hyperbaric sessions in a way that optimizes recovery and optimizes for what they need. So I have smaller protocols for things like jet lag and, and injury recovery. That's, you know, mild, like mild aches and pains. But, um, the key for me though, James, is that if somebody's looking for like longer term benefits of a hyperbaric protocol, not just the acute muscle recovery, the, even the acute injury recovery. And the idea really is we want to shift those epigenetics. We want to shift that expression and super suppression of various genes on the DNA so that you have 
better oxygen utilization over the long term, and you have a, a healing environment overall because you've shifted those epigenetics. And so that usually for me is like a what I would call a startup protocol. Like you start up and use hyperbaric therapy for 20 sessions, ideally for me. And depending on the indication, also depends on the type of pressure, which I'll talk about in a minute. But what you want to try to do is get that shift over about 20 sessions. And then after that, you can use it periodically, depending on what your needs are, because now you've shift the, shifted those epigenetics. You're now in a place where you can benefit even more using hyperbaric therapy in, in a targeted intermittent sort of way. But the last piece of this to discuss is that there's different types of chambers out there, right? There's chambers that are, you can get for your house. Like I have one at my house that goes to what's called 1.3 atmospheres. That's about 12 feet of seawater equivalent. And you have chambers that go to very deep pressures, medical grade chambers that go to three atmospheres. That's typically the, the deepest, unless you're in a hospital and three atmospheres is the equivalent of about 66 feet of seawater. Most of the medical indications of hyperbaric therapy are between, are between 1.3 and 2.0. And the, but there are deeper ones in the acute setting when you want to go to 2.4, even some of the longer term indications like chronic, uh, chronic Lyme disease or inflammatory bowel disease, or, or even acute injuries, you sometimes go to 2.4 atmospheres. So in general, the, the, the therapeutic windows between 1.3 and 2.4 for most things, but from the neurologic side of things, you're getting your sweet spot in your brain is somewhere between 1.3 and 2.0. And then systemically, you're talking about 2.0 to 2.4 mostly. And so within that range, depending on your conditions and your, your goals, it depends on what kind of chamber that would be most appropriate for you. So for most people that are looking for longevity, biohacking, optimal performance, the mild units tend to do a good job because you can also start adding in other types of technologies that you do before, during, and after to kind of leverage the technology, lever leverage the hyperbaric environment, and then use it to achieve your goals. In other people, it's better to go to deeper pressures depending on their conditions and their goals as well. Yeah, that's, that's great to know that some of these home units is not just people you know, throwing their money away, that there's still some benefit to be had by those when it's done oh, yeah. in combination with, with other things for overall optimization. So the striking thing I think you mentioned is that you, you have to have a very large volume or a higher volume than one would anticipate in terms of when you're going to see the benefits. So uh, chronically anyway, for like long-term health optimization. So right. you know, maybe somebody, like you mentioned, a short jet lag protocol, maybe that's a one-off scenario where it makes sense. But if somebody is like, oh, well, I'll just do, you know, a couple of these sessions per year and that's going to, you know, protect and optimize my health. It really, it's just a much larger volume of sessions you need to get that effect. And I think that's what's been shown in some of the data coming out of Israel, where they're doing right. a lot of these studies, like the uh, the telomere lengthening that everybody got very excited about. Uh, I believe that was a, a large number of sessions as well. Yes. So, you know, a lot of exciting research going on. Is there anything that you're watching in particular right now that is either recruiting or undergoing that you're excited to see the results come out? Hmm. You mentioned a good place to look, which is the Israeli group. It's called... Uh, what is it called? They're calling some of the Aviv centers now. That's their for-profit arm. The facility in Israel is, is at, a, at a place called the Asaf Harafei Hospital in Tel Aviv. And they've been around now doing studies, putting out since about 2013. And they have the largest hyperbaric facility in the world. They're doing about 250, 200 to 250 people per day in their hyperbaric environments. And the one thing I didn't mention about the chambers, there's different types of chambers. There's a chamber that's for single occupancy, so one person, and there's chambers that are called multi-place chambers, which are for multiple people at the same time. 
and the Israelis and a lot of other places around the world that have diving locations, because one of the one of the indications that I forgot to mention for hyperbaric therapy, which is the, the primary, excuse me, and the initial indication was for the bends or decompression illness. And so divers, there's usually hyperbaric facilities in those locations. These have, those have to go to very deep pressures, even deeper than three ATA. But so they have a multi-place chamber in Israel. They have actually four of them. And so they have 12 per, people within these four chambers that are diving every two hours, basically throughout the day. And so what's interesting about the multi-place is that everybody has to dive to the same pressure and everybody gets oxygen through a mask in their, like that they're wearing. So the nice thing about a monoplace sometimes or a single occupancy chamber is that you can, you can navigate the pressures a little bit more nuanced in a way that you can start at a different pressure and not everybody has to be at the same pressure. So that's the, the major benefit of being in the monoplace. What's also nice of being, being in the multi-place this can dovetail to your question, is that inside of a hyperbaric environment, you are obviously hyperoxygenated. Your multitasking ability goes up. Your ability to potentially heal from injuries and doing various tasks to stimulate that healing inside the hyperbaric environment is possibly increased and better. And so there is one study on multitasking performance. They're, they're doing some other work that, where they're doing physical therapy inside of a hyperbaric environment and doing other types of performance-related metrics like VO2 max testing as well, of course, is going to go up in a hyperbaric environment. But to see how this works in the sense of long-term, after being in a hyperbaric chamber, do you have these benefits to a larger to extent, to a larger extent because you were doing these kinds of maneuvers inside of a hyperbaric environment? And in addition, there was the work on telomeres was extremely interesting and, and also the work on senescent cells. And senescent cells are these cells that accumulate as we get older. And they're also known as zombie cells. And basically what that means is that they, they don't divide anymore. They don't work very well. They just cause inflammation. And they're also associated with cancer, degeneration, et cetera. So there seems to be a down regulation or a decrease in the number of senescent cells inside of the hyperbaric chamber. And we don't know what's happening. We don't know if they're just so what we want a cell to do is when the cell understands that it's no longer functioning well, what it's supposed to do is release signals to make itself die to apoptose. And so we're not sure if the cells are just getting signals to die to apoptose or if they're regenerating themselves under hyperbaric conditions, it's unclear. But either way, there's gonna be more research that's going to come out on the senescent cell side of things, which actually excites me more than the telomere side of things because the senescent cells we know for sure that they have a direct correlation, but telomere lengthening is a bit tricky because we also know that telomere length is, is associated with, with younger chromosomes, but there's also some cancers that will turn off telomere length shortening so that they can continue to divide over a longer period of time, the cells that they're making. So, I mean, there's no indication that hyperbaric therapy has any pro-cancer growth activity at all, but it's just something that to keep in mind that I think the senescent cells are the more interesting side of things. There's also a lot of new work that's happening in the post-COVID world, in the long COVID patient population. And we're seeing a lot of great benefits of using hyperbaric therapy in that context as well. Yeah, that the senescent cells are particularly interesting. Um, I would speculate it could be a, a bit of both. If you're getting stem cell activation, that's going to be regenerative in itself. And then more reactive oxygen species are going to take those more susceptible cells, cells that need to undergo apoptosis. And, you know, maybe that's occurring. And again, just speculating, but I would think there would be some anti-cancer potential to hyperbaric therapy. If it's going to generate more react reactive oxygen species, we know that 
cancer cells are more sensitive to that damage. That's why things like you know, radiation and chemo, which induce massive cell damage, wipe out preferentially those cancer therapies. So lots of exciting stuff on the horizon there. And yeah, with, with the telomeres, I think you're totally right. It's not as simple as how long are your telomeres? Did we reverse age? Um, what I'm looking at in terms of like anti-aging, if you will, for that term, is looking at the tissue function, right? So how well is that tissue function? How well is your cognitive performance? How well is your exercise performance? Are you seeing improvements there? Then we're, we're making it as if you function at a younger age, again, not necessarily that we're dialing you back from 40 to 30, but we're seeing those sorts of, sorts of objective improvements, things that we can measure, you know, like arterial stiffening is a great, a great mm -hmm. example of that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, almost anybody can use hyperbaric oxygen, but are there any people in particular who it would be contraindicated for, or they would have to get certain conditions under better control before they would use hyperbaric oxygen therapy? Yeah, that's always a good question to touch on. It's important that people know that hyperbaric therapy is a it's a condition or it's a, it's a procedure, a technology that does require a prescription. Okay. And the reason for that is there are certain people that shouldn't get into a hyperbaric environment. And the, the only absolute contraindication, the only absolute reason you can't get into a chamber is if you, if you have something called a tension pneumothorax and a tension pneumothorax is not something that most people are going to have. It's basically when you have a lot of air that fills up your lung, your chest wall cavity and compresses your lung, and you can't breathe. So if you can't breathe, don't go into a hyperbaric chamber, go to the hospital kind of thing, right? Uh, but on the other side of things, um, from a pulmonary condition perspective, if you require oxygen at baseline, then it may not be a great idea to get into a hyperbaric chamber because we're going to be giving you extra oxygen in the chamber. And if you have a difficult time balancing your CO2 and O2 balance, that could be a challenge. So in people that are oxygen dependent, not usually appropriate to go into a hyperbaric environment unless it's an acute indication in a hospital. Like for example, if you're a COPD patient, if you have restrictive lung disease, pulmonary fibrosis, um, for asthma patients, usually not an issue as long as you don't have a lot of air trapping. So if your asthma is under good control, not a particular issue. If, you're, if you have a lot of reactive airways, if you're on a lot of medications, it may not work well because the oxygen may cause more reactive airways. And as a result, you could have more issues in the chamber. So in people that have any asthma that's uncontrolled or, or even well-controlled, I usually recommend bringing an inhaler with you to take before and after hyperbaric therapy, just to, you know, just to stay safe kind of thing. From a cardiac perspective, we want people to have normal heart function overall, at least ejection fractions over about 35%. Uh, if you have an ejection fraction above that, you're totally fine. If you have an ejection fraction below that, then you really have to be careful and monitored inside of a, like a, more of a hospital kind of setting for hyperbaric therapy. We worry about pulmonary edema or getting fluid in your lungs because of the extra oxygen, extra pressure that might happen. Uh, any uncontrolled heart rhythm. Also, you should go to the hospital, not go into a hyperbaric environment kind of thing. Like if, you know, if you're in VTAC or if you're in a VFib arrest, you know, don't go to the, into a hyperbaric ch chamber kind of thing. Um, but from a heart condition perspective, those are the major ones. And then you want your blood pressure to be controlled as well. You don't, we don't want to have an, a blood pressure over about 160 uh, because blood, because hyperbaric therapy increases your, the resistance of your heart vessels, heart blood, your blood vessels a little bit. So it increases blood pressure slightly. And so you want to make sure your blood pressure is about less than 160 systolic. Uh, you also want to make sure people don't have uncontrolled seizure disorders under high oxygen conditions over multiple hyperbaric sessions. There is a risk of seizures, but it's very, very mild, very, very small, very rare, unless you have a history of seizures, you have a history of 
a brain-related disorder that would give you a risk of seizures. So you've had a stroke in a seizure center, you've had a traumatic brain injury, a tumor, et cetera. Um, the seizures in the chamber, if they do happen, are, are usually tonic-clonic, you know, grand mal kind of seizures, but they're very, uh, they're very benign overall because they're oxygen-induced. So it's, it's like having a febrile seizure in a child, for example. It's something that usually doesn't have any long-term effects if it does happen inside the, in the hyperbaric environment. So um, those are the major ones. Obviously, if you're really claustrophobic and you're going inside of a hyperbaric environment, that could be a challenge, but for most people, that's not an issue. And the major symptom that people will feel when they go into the hyperbaric chamber is that, that pressurization sensation in their ears. So if you have a hard time pressurizing your ears on a plane, it could be hard to go inside of a hyperbaric environment. We have various maneuvers to help you just like you'd be on a plane. We could even put in tubes in people's ears, like ear tubes that you would get as a child, for example. And that negates any issues with pressurization because now there's an opening between the inside and the outside of your ear. The, the, uh, the, the block right there is your eardrum, right? So your eardrum prevents air from getting forward or getting into your middle ear, but we can make a small opening to put a small little tube in there to help with the pressure if needed. And pregnant women, so if you're pregnant, we don't recommend you go into hyperbaric therapy. If you're breastfeeding, it's okay. Pregnancy is what's called a contraindication. So we don't put pregnant people in the chamber, women. However, we, if they do have carbon monoxide poisoning, pregnant women are allowed in, into the hyperbaric environment and this will help them along with the baby as well. So there is precedent for using it, but just not something we do on an everyday basis. But overall for me, what I'm looking at, James, is that all those things I think about, but I also think about, you know, when is it appropriate for this person to go into the hyperbaric environment? As we spoke about before, if they have lots of inflammatory kinds of things going on, if they don't have optimized levels of vitamins, minerals, nutrients, imbalances, toxicities, and deficiencies, it might not be the best time to go into the chambers, so they may actually feel worse when they go in. It's not uncommon, actually, for people that have any of those things to feel worse and not benefit as much as they could over a protocol of hyperbaric therapy. A good example is that when somebody goes into the chamber and they feel terrible afterwards, that's usually a sign to me that there's a lot of inflammation going on, or there's a lot of detoxification, a lot of oxidative load that this body is under. Now, there's some people that need to kind of go through a little bit of this before they can kind of get that oxidative, that antioxidant response, and they can see this shift. And that typically happens within about three treatments. So if somebody comes to me and they're still feeling really bad after five, six, seven treatments, that usually means that they need a lot of help cellularly to help to really support them through a hyperbaric experience. On the optimal performance side of things, if people go in and feel fantastic, that's usually a good sign that they're going to have a great outcome over the long-term, but it doesn't mean they don't have some hard work to do because getting oxygen to the tissue is great. They feel great. They're getting more energy, but then they have to do the hard work of that epigenetic shift. And that can make them feel like they don't have that initial burst of oxygen. They don't feel as good as they did initially, but it's the long-term benefit of, of shifting that epigenetics that they will find. So that's the overall way I think, I think about contraindications and who's best to go in and when. Yeah, that's all. That's great stuff. And it, it makes sense. You certainly don't want to suppress somebody's respiratory drive. If they have COPD, you're going to make sure that somebody's heart can support that additional demand. Uh, the seizures is one thing I wanted to ask about specifically, because it seemed like the actual risk there was very low. But very everywhere low. you look, it seems like people are talking about seizures and hyperbaric therapy. So very reassuring to hear that, you know, it's not likely to have negative long-term outcomes. And even then the risk is, you know, very small of that even occurring from an oxygen toxicity. So right. we have lots of ways to mitigate that in the chamber too. There are certain, certain things that we do with deeper pressures that prevent 
or decrease the risk of having a seizure. And one of the things that we do is use something called air breaks. And so when you're in a chamber, you're breathing oxygen usually on a mask, or sometimes it's hundred percent oxygen in the chamber itself. And every 20 minutes or 30 minutes, depending on the protocol, we'll have you breathe sea level compressed air, which has only 21% oxygen in it. And so that decreases the amount of oxygen in circulation for that five minutes and decreases your risk of having oxygen toxicity that would manifest in a seizure. What's also interesting about that though, is that we think those air breaks are probably therapeutic as well, because when you're changing from around 100% oxygen to 21% oxygen, that delta, that change, your body feels is like getting low oxygen all of a sudden. And as a result of that, it stimulates all these factors in your body that would be released if you were under low altitude, or sorry, high altitude conditions, so low oxygen conditions. And those kinds of factors improve the number of mitochondria you have. They improve the function of your mitochondria. They also stimulate more stem cells release and also stimulate decreased inflammation, interestingly enough. And so we think those air breaks are not only uh, preventative as a way of preventing oxygen toxicity, but also potentially therapeutic as well. And so we're using them more commonly, a lot of our protocols these days as a way to enhance the, the therapeutic nature, the therapeutic effect of being in a chamber. Yeah, that's incredible. So you're really supercharging your hyperbaric oxygen therapy by having those air breaks. And it's like, um, you know, altitude training without the altitude training, uh, getting a lot yeah, of that low exactly. oxygen response. And potentially without the detriment of low altitude training for people that are not as optimized to do low altitude training. And that's people that have higher inflammatory loads that are, that are more, that are under more oxidative stress that maybe they don't detox as well. Maybe they're not op as optimized from a, from a foundational perspective. So that's where I see it potentially shining in comparison to altitude training. Of course, if you're healthy, altitude training is great. And I have people that do both. They do hyperbaric therapy and then they do altitude training at the same, at various times in their sort of training regimens, depending on where they are in their world of, of competing and, and events and things like that. Yeah, no, that's incredible. That's the sort of intervention that I love. Just like you talked about with the air break, something that is going to be, you know, reducing risks and then also having a number of additional benefits. It's just, uh, but two birds, you know, or three birds, one stone type of scenario. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you know, with hyperbaric therapy over the years, so I created my own integrative practice and I, I did that. I have done it virtually. So I work with people all over the world. I work with clinics all over the world. They're looking to use hyperbaric therapy in an integrative way, which can mean just bring it into their practice. If they have like longevity practice, like you guys do, or if it's more, they have other modalities, they have lights, they have sauna, they have PEMF mats, they have exercise equipment. I, they have cold baths, I can keep going, but they're looking to use hyperbaric therapy and leverage this particular technology in the setting of having all those other things together. And some of these clinics are run by providers. Other of these facilities are have no doctors on site and then are just looking to work with people on a more sort of health and wellness longevity perspective in that capacity. And so I consult with all these clinics and these people and try to optimize and work in this context of understanding you know, what are we doing before, during, and after hyperbaric therapy to really make it so that we're leveraging the technology, the chamber, but we're also giving people the most benefit from the other technologies or the, the other practices that they're doing. And so uh, with the last three to five years, I've realized that what really needed to happen was a lot more education on the hyperbaric side. And there's a lot of stuff out there. A lot more people know about hyperbaric therapy, a lot more chamber, chambers in people's homes. 
lot more chambers and clinics. And so what I've developed over the last couple of years is a company called OneBase, which is uh, my company that's based on understanding how you can integrate these technologies together, plain and simple, and how you can do it in, in a more intentional framework, and then using various ways of interacting with your data streams, whatever you're using these days, to give you real-time feedback on how to best optimize yourself using the, the types of uh, modalities that you have. I mean, we're starting off with hyperbaric therapy and, and using my practice as the model, which is somebody comes to me, they have migraine headaches, and then I give them ideas of how, what they do before, what they do during, what they do after hyperbaric therapy to help you know, optimize there, right? But more from a a wellness perspective first so that you're coming in for athletic performance or cognitive performance or a cognitive boost. My favorite protocol there, just to give an example, is that what you, you want to make sure you're prior to getting to a hyperbaric environment, what you want to try to do is, is hydrate with minerals if possible. So mineral hydration, not just your regular reverse osmosis water. Reverse osmosis water is better than tap water, but it doesn't have any minerals and doesn't have any salt in it magnesium, other kinds of minerals, you know, calcium, trace minerals, et cetera, that are really important for energy production. They're also important for increasing your blood volume so you can carry more oxygen in that capacity. Though, so that when you're in the chamber for 30 minutes, the 30 minute protocol, you get in, you meditate, you try to get into like a calm parasympathetic place. And then as soon as you get out of the chamber, you, you either get into a cold shower or you drop yourself into a cold tub. And then what that, what that does is that you still have all the oxygen in circulation and it, it squeezes down or shrinks down your mitochondria when you're in cold. And so you're going to make energy more effectively when you're in cold, you have more oxygen around, and then you hyper, then you dilate after getting out of the, the cold and all that blood's going to go to your periphery. And you've also stimulated the neuro hormones, your neurotransmitters to release that help with cognitive function, with brain function, your your norepinephrine, your epinephrine of the world. So more of your sympathetic hormones, but also your, your endocannabinoids, your, your cannabinoid, your internal system that makes these cannabis like molecules that help you feel good and feel blissful as well. So that that's a great, easy protocol for people to do 30 minutes in the chamber, uh, with this cold stimulus afterwards, for example. So doing a number of different protocols that are like that. We have a jet lag protocol. We have an injury recovery protocol, things like that. So that's pretty easy for people that have chambers or that are interested in understanding what a chamber could do to help leverage your goals in these particular contexts. And so my goal over the long term is for this particular, uh, this particular platform to be able to integrate all your technologies, not just hyperbaric therapy. So if you have lights, if you have sauna, if you have exercise equipment, you know, if you're like me, you have crazy weird cupping things that you bring into the chamber and, and you have uh, theraguns where you're, you know, you're using various types of modalities like that. So that's, that's where I've gone over the years. And, and I, I'm excited where this, the world of hyperbaric therapy is going and these, these integrative mindsets as well with, with people like yourselves and, and, and Kyle, where you're looking at how you can really look at longevity and performance in a, in a much more like umbrella context. Yeah, that sounds like a, a biohacker's dream. You mentioned the 30 minutes in the chamber, pop in a cold tub, and you're going to get that dopamine, that norepinephrine, a nice, clean wave of energy to, to get you right. through the day. Uh, so you mentioned one of the companies you're affiliated with, if either a provider, a practitioner, or just patients who want to contact you and see about working with you, where can yeah. people go to find more information about you or follow you on social media? So my... My clinical practice and my integrative practice where I speak to people all over the world in clinics, you can find it either at integrativehbot.com or my name, Dr. Scott Scher is probably easier, Dr. Scott Scher, 
Group.com. That's where that'll link directly to my clinical practice and my virtual telemedicine clinical practice kind of thing. And then my company is called OneBase, OneBaseHealth.com. The word, the word one is spelled out um, O-N-E, uh, One Base Health. And the that's a place where you can find out more about the app and our education. Also find out a little bit about some of the mild hyperbaric units that are on the market and how that how those all integrate. And those are my major places that you can find me or my company. And then there's also my personal Instagram. It's at Dr. Scott Schur on Instagram as well. Okay, that's fantastic stuff. We'll be sure to put all that information in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Schur. It's been a great conversation. I think there's a lot of high yield information that people and providers alike that listen to this are going to be able to take away. Yeah, thanks for having me, James. I think the key really is that this is a, a supercharged healing modality for recovery, performance, and optimization. And the key is just using it in the context of understanding the person in front of you and synergizing with the other modalities that you plan on using. But if you do it in that context, it's going to supercharge your results almost all of the time, as long as you're screening people out for reasons why they shouldn't get into the chamber. Absolutely. I think an individualized approach is the way to go in, in any health optimization practice. And I think you understand that very well. So thank you once again for your time. And we should have you back on at some point to talk about some of the other things you're doing. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I look forward to it. Absolutely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.